Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash Counselor Toolbox. Counselor Toolbox podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest e-counseling platform, providing accessible and affordable counseling services via messaging, live chat, phone, or video. To apply to be a counselor at BetterHelp with no overhead fees or cost, go to BetterHelp.com toolbox. You can also find a counselor by going to BetterHelp.com toolbox and clicking on Get Started in the upper right corner. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's ongoing presentation of the Journey to Recovery series. Today we're going to be talking about individual and group exercises for anger and anxiety. What we're really learning in this series is how to use the information that we have, because, I mean, we've studied anger and anxiety. This is stuff that, you know, hopefully is, you know, relatively second nature to a lot of us, but our clients haven't. So we're going to learn about ways to help educate them about anger and anxiety, but also hopefully this will provide some tools that... Um, behavioral health technicians and other people who may not have the benefit of um, a master's degree can use in groups in order to facilitate. So we're going to identify the purpose of anger and anxiety. We'll learn how to help people explore the effects of anger and anxiety and explore activities to help clients learn how to identify and cope with anger and anxiety in a way that's meaningful to them. So what is the purpose of anger and anxiety? And I usually, when I do this with groups, I don't say anger and anxiety. I say, what's the purpose of anger? What does it do for you? And we write it up on the board um, because I'm a visual learner, so I write down everything. Uh, and then I say, okay, what's the purpose of anxiety? And that one's a little bit harder for a lot of people. They're like, oh, no. Um, and then, you know, some people come up with it right away. But then we talk about how anger and anxiety are two different reactions to the same thing. It's your brain telling you there might be a threat. And the emphasis is on the word might. It doesn't mean there is. It means there might be. And it's kind of like a smoke alarm that's going off that's telling you to check something. Um, and then we talk about... You know, I asked the group, have you ever gotten so angry or stressed out about something just to find out that it wasn't a big deal? And, you know, for example, 
my old boss and I worked for him for 14 years and this is one person that I really did trust wasn't going to pull any punches but I just had this ingrained response whenever he would come up to me and I hated it um, he would come up to me at the end of a day or worse yet on Friday and say something like we really need to have a meeting next week and I'm like okay what about you know give me a little bit of something here or I'm gonna be stressed out all weekend um, and that's the anxiety building up but 99 times out of 100 when I met with him because um, I'm sure there's one time that it was a big deal but you know every other time it really wasn't a big deal and so I stressed myself out the entire weekend for no good reason I was assuming since I was anxious I was using emotional reasoning since I was anxious I was assuming that it must be a problem but the problem was really in my perception of the situation so where do these problems come from um, problems are based on prior learning experiences but life changes so a problem when you are you know three is not a problem when you're 23 I remember and it broke my heart and I remember it to this day because it traumatized me a little bit um, I was in the backyard washing my car and my son was inside he was three he was taking a nap I was literally right outside his bedroom window and uh, he woke up from his nap and he heard the the water running and everything and he looked out and he saw me and he waved and he's like hi mommy I'm like hi honey and uh, I get back in the get back in the car because I was done washing it and I started backing it out of the backyard to put it in the driveway I knew what I was doing he didn't oh the poor little thing just lost his stuffing screaming beating on the window don't leave me and I felt so bad um, so obviously you know I immediately ran inside and apologized profusely for a week but you know these are things for a three-year-old thinking that oh my gosh I'm gonna be alone that was terrifying my daughter and she's 14 right now but she thinks you know mom's gonna go to the store for a while that's awesome I'm gonna be alone for a little bit not that she gets in trouble but she just likes having the house to herself so what was unsafe for for them when they were three not so unsafe when they're 13 or 14 sometimes people um, get stressed out or anxious or angry about some something because they need somebody's approval and they get frustrated that they can't get it um, so when things happen in the future they may get angry or anxious because they need to know what's going on they need to control it so they can make sure to get that person's approval problems also can be overgeneralized and you know when we're children when we're forming our schemas we are thinking in all or none egocentric concrete terms you know three things that can come back to bite us in the butt when we're 23 so you know it's important to recognize that life changes and it's not necessarily all or nothing and some things are overgeneralized like the dogs barking our dogs bark a lot um, and sometimes the dogs are barking because the UPS man is there sometimes the dogs are barking because a butterfly flew past the window I, I don't know I go there and there's nothing out there I have no idea what they were barking about but for me to get stressed out every time they barked assuming that somebody was at the door and I was at risk would be exhausting 
So it's important to adjust those schema to be less all or nothing and more specific. You know, in this situation, if it is nine o'clock at night and the dogs start losing their stuffing, then yeah, I get a little anxious. You know, does it necessarily mean there's a problem? Not necessarily, but I'm going to do more to check it out than, you know, if it's 10 o'clock in the morning when I expect the UPS man. Semis are another example of how we overgeneralize. You know, if you've ever been run off the road by a semi, because those things are really freaking big, then getting next to one can make you nervous henceforth and forevermore unless you adjust that schema and recognize that, you know, that driver, you may have been in his blind spot because they've got big old blind spots um, or whatever. So we do want to recognize that fight or flight is the result of some other prior experience that has told us in a similar situation, it was not safe. So you might not be safe now. Again, the emphasis is on might. And we need to say in the moment where I am, who I am, how old I am, with the resources I have, am I safe or not safe in the moment? And that takes, takes some time. Other problems may be the result of transference. Um, if you get angry at somebody, maybe your new significant other didn't return a text immediately and you just get so angry or they checked it, you can see that they read it and they didn't respond and you get so angry and you, you know, you get all fired up about it because the person that you used to be dating or be in a relationship with used to do that all the time and not respond to you and ignore you and that generally meant you know it was a poor relationship on a lot of on a lot of levels in this particular case again we need to say what else could call, cause that person to not respond you know am i projecting my anger and my suspicions and my reactions from that past relationship onto this one Maybe the current relationship person was just driving and it dinged and they happened to look at it and then said, okay, I'll get to it when I can actually text. Um, you can also have transferences from your worst boss. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I have, I have one boss that was really, you know, kind of the poster child for a stressful boss. And there are occasions when I'm watching television and there are a couple actresses that look very much like her and or, and or sound very much like her. I can't even watch those shows. Even though I know it's not the same person, it just brings back those feelings in my head. Now, yes, I could deal with it and yada yada, but I could also just not watch that show. Two different ways of handling it. But I do recognize that, you know, it has nothing to do with the person, the actress, or the show, I do recognize that I am projecting. Um, and that's the first step to helping clients deal with it and figure out, you know, how they want to address it. And other reasons why we might get angry or anxious that are not accurate could be just not getting the right information. A car backfiring sounds like a gunshot. So if you hear that, you may get stressed out, but you don't have the information that you needed. My son, um, when he was really little, he had this thing in his mouth. It was called a palate spacer um, that the orthodontist put in. And we had to turn it 
every single day in order to space his palate out a little bit more. And it sounds completely barbaric, but, you know, it isn't any worse than braces. But anyway, um, we had just adjusted his palate spacer, and he went out and was doing something in the other room. He was like four at this point or something. And uh, his dad and I were back in the back room. And all of a sudden, he comes to the door, and he's banging on the door, and he's crying. And I open the door, and his entire face is just gushing blood. And, you know, you can't, where you can't really tell where it's coming from. Well, the first thing that comes to my head is the palate spacer was, we tightened it too much, or it did something wrong, and it, like, split his face open. And, you know, of course, then panic sets in and everything. You know, lo and behold... He had been playing in the laundry basket and tipped himself over and smashed his face on the, uh, on the ground, which, you know, is not good. But he had given himself a bloody nose, which is much easier to deal with than breaking his skull. So, but he, he, came, he came in and he had never had a really bad injury before, so he didn't understand what all this red stuff was. He thought it was paint. And he was telling me, I, I, I've got paint. Um, I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? Um, and yeah, Carolyn's right. The, that, that did take a year off my life trying to uh, um, fix that one. But the moral to the story is I had inaccurate information. My initial assumption was that it was something just horrific. And in reality, when I got the actual facts, I realized it was just a bloody nose. And I've dealt with those. So we do want to help clients recognize the inaccuracy of the stress response system. We want them to recognize it's there to help protect them. Oh, yeah. You know, don't reject anger and anxiety. Thank your brain. Say, it's a good thing you're there to let me know there might be a problem. But then check back in and say, is this really a problem right now for me? So, how does anger or anxiety affect you? And you can do this with flip charts around the room. Um, I generally, this one isn't a whole lot of fun to do. So, a lot of times I will just make columns on the board. Another way that you can do it is to get one of those big beach balls. You know, that's another one of my favorite activities. And write physical, emotional, social, occupational, spiritual, and environmental on different sides, if you will, of the ball, and then you toss it around the, um, toss it around the circle, and w when people catch the ball, whatever's facing up at them is what they have to speak about, so if they catch it and physically is facing up, then they have to identify how anger or anxiety affects them physically. As they do that, again, since I'm visual, I typically write it on the board, but it makes it a little bit more interactive and it forces people to participate more if they're passing the ball around instead of calling on people. Um, uh, and there's just a little bit of an element of more fun that way. So anyway, things that I want them to come up with, and I will prod if I have to. Physically, anger and anxiety is excitatory. It stimulates that HPA axis and impairs sleep. It keeps cortisol levels high, which keeps sex hormones levels, levels low. It keeps serotonin low. It keeps melatonin low. When you're stressed out, when your body thinks that there's a threat, it doesn't want you to get good sleep. Pain 
is increased. Serotonin is responsible in part for modulation of our pain response. So when serotonin is low, pain tolerance is low or pain perception is high, however you want to look at it. It can cause gastrointestinal problems. You know, most people, you can say when you get stressed out, you know, angry or anxious, it doesn't really matter. When you get stressed out, does it upset your belly? And they will, a lot of people will say yes. So you don't need to go into the huge explanation of it. Um, but we also know that extended stress or prolonged stress also impairs immunity. And I don't know about you, but when I get sick, it's even easier for me to get angry and stressed out because I can't focus and I feel lousy and I'm getting even worse sleep. Emotionally, and emotion, we're going to talk um, maybe today, I can't remember, <laughs> I, I've written so many classes lately, about the fact that emotions are rarely unidimensional. There are multiple emotions that people deal with. So when they're angry, for example, they also may regret some things that they said when they were angry or re regret some choices they made that got them into this position. They may feel guilty if they lash out at somebody. They may be angry at themselves and feel guilty. They may feel helpless to change the situation, which is making them even angrier because they really like to be the one that's in control. So we do want to look at the different layers of emotion. And, you know, we talk about layers as like an onion. And we peel off each layer to try to figure out what's underneath it. Socially, um, anger and anxiety can impact our relationships because when we're angry, when we use anger, when we use aggression, we're typically pushing people down, we're trying to get power over them, or we're pushing people away so they can't hurt us. And that can engender fear in other people. We're typically trying to dominate them. And that doesn't create healthy relationships. There's a very big difference be between fear and respect. And one activity you can do is have people, you know, list the different qualities of, you know, what's the difference between fear and respect? You know, how do you know if you're afraid or if you respect someone? Give me an example of somebody that you know in your life that you really respect. And give me an example of somebody you know in your life that you fear. Um, and, and what's the difference? You know, I can think of bosses that I've had that fall in each category. And I can tell you, you know, I can tell you some of the differences that I perceived. Now, whether they were factual differences or not, that's up for debate. But my perception of those people put them in those categories. Anxiety is the same way. I mean, when you're anxious, you know, you're not pushing down, you're not getting, but you're trying to run away because you're afraid of people. So it's hard to develop a supportive relationship of respect if you're afraid of everything and you're stressed out all the time. So either way, anger and anxiety typically has a negative impact on relationships. Now, I say that, but I, but I can also say that relationships are our greatest buffer against stress. So how does that work? Well, when you're stressed out every once in a while, then you can call your best friend. You can call your mom. You can call somebody um, or go over to their house or whatever it is and get support. You know, that's great. It's when the person is constantly angry that people are like, you know what? I just, I can't deal with the negativity today. 
um, or they're constantly anxious and they, they just drain other people's energy because they're so stressed out all the time and they never have anything to give back. They're always taking instead of having that mutual give and take. So anger and anxiety in excess can have negative relationships on or negative effects on relationships. Occupationally, if somebody is angry or anxious all the time, it changes how they work with others. You know, I love working with people who are positive, who are creative, who are enthusiastic. I don't really like working with people who are um, not happy about what they're doing, who are begrudging, who are complaining all the time, or who are stressed out all of the time. Um, and it means if they're in a job where there's customer service, it's harder to deal with the public if they are angry or anxious all the time. If they are in a dysphoric state, it's hard to be happy because you're expected to be okay, maybe not perky, but you're expected to be okay when you're dealing with the public. Spiritually, anger and anxiety, these threat responses, affect people's sense of connectedness and impact in the world. You know, they, it affects a lot of times when people feel angry or anxious, they feel helpless, they feel vulnerable, they don't feel supported, or they feel like the world is against them instead of helping them which can make them either want to disconnect or you know, feel like there wasn't any supportive connection to begin with. Um, and environmentally, anger and anxiety can cause people to break stuff, um, put holes in walls, or throw out things impulsively. You know, how often have people gotten upset about something and said, you know, I really never want to see this person again, so they destroy every single memento that that person ever gave them every picture they ever had and then a week later they make up and they're like oh i destroyed all those pictures sorry um so we do want to encourage people to think about the effects of anger and anxiety and also in our environment think about what you do when you're angry or anxious are you all about looking around and cleaning and tidying and you know being um not Mary Poppins, although she's a good example, but uh, Snow White. You know, Snow White was always tidying and everything, but I didn't ever get the impression that she was stressed out. She just seemed happy all the time and talking with the animals. Um, so looking at what happens in your environment when you get angry and stressed out um, with the people, but also just the way it looks. Do you turn on the lights? Do you keep the lights off? Do you clean up after yourself? Do you not? Since anger protects people and it often results from application of prior knowledge or experiences, then it can be supposed that people with a lot of anger may have been exposed to significant threats and traumas in their past. When you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. So thinking about, you know, like I said, if they were, when they were young, if they were experienced trauma and they developed this very creative way of coping for a six-year-old or whatever, and that was reinforced, and that was the only way they knew how to protect themselves, they may still be doing that to this day to some extent. So we want to look at, you know, and, and what kind of situation caused that. Let's take someone who has an anger management problem today, who gets upset, who screams at other people. Thinking back in the past, where did you learn that behavior? 
did you observe that behavior? Or when you felt threatened in the past, did yelling and screaming and, you know, getting all bolstered up, did that make you safer? Did that make you feel safer? Okay, so if that did, you know, if that's what happened, now let's look today. When you do this behavior, do you get a similar outcome? And a lot of times the answer is yes. So then we want to say, okay, what was it about this situation that made you feel like you were back there, that made you feel the same way you did when you were six, seven, eight, twelve, whatever it was? What are the connections? What were the triggers? What are the similarities? So anger and anxiety triggers, and I do this twice, but, you know, if you have other creative ideas, please throw them out. Um, one thing I do is the alphabet list. So we go through and I say, what are some triggers for you for anger and anxiety? And we can, depending on how big the group is, we may go around the room and everybody says an A thing, then everybody says a B thing. Um, but sometimes... Uh, when people are exposed to somebody who gives them an attitude, they get angry. They feel rejected. They feel self-conscious, whatever. So they, you know, their hackles go up, as, as, you know, you might say. So attitude is one of the A's. Bullying is you know, when people feel like they're being bullied, it can trigger anger and anxiety. C can stand for creating drama. You know, sometimes it's just really irritating when there's this one person that always creates drama. D is for disagreeing, especially people who um, feel vulnerable. A lot of times they really want to maintain control and they want to be validated and they want to be accepted. So if someone disagrees with their opinion or their choices, they can get very... Um, frustrated and angry and defensive. Um, so disagreeing. D is another defensiveness. Um, e is for expecting too much. That can make you angry or anxious. If somebody just expects too much of you and you're like, I don't know if I can live up to this person's expectations, that can trigger the stress response. F, failing to keep a promise. Okay, so you see where we're going with this. And some of the letters get a little bit difficult like z is not easy no matter what kind of activity you're doing um but it does make people think and it opens conversation um i can honestly say i have never gotten through the entire alphabet in one group but you know that's okay so it's important to recognize anger and anxiety as protective responses based on that person's experiences and worldview anything can be perceived as threatening depending on somebody's prior experiences so you want to ask yourself and encourage them to ask themselves in what way did the current situation make you feel unsafe emotionally interpersonally like you know somebody was rejecting you or might do you physical harm physically or remind you of a time when you were unsafe you know those are all things that can trigger a stress response Helping them understand where did this feeling come from? You know, I'm accepting it. I'm, I'm not fighting it. I'm recognizing that my brain perceives it as a potential threat. I just need to know where it's coming from. What emotions were triggered by this event and what vulnerabilities or skill deficits contribute to the event? Contributed to the event. 
So again, if the person's anger was triggered or anger and guilt were triggered, whatever, that's fine. All right, so that's what was triggered. When the person felt those emotions, maybe they lashed out by screaming and calling somebody else a name. So that was the behavioral response. Okay. So what skill deficits contributed to that event? What could the person have done that they didn't have the tools in their toolbox to do? What other responses are available that they may not have had available to them that they could have potentially used? That's where we come in and we can help teach. And what vulnerabilities contributed to the event? If the person, you know, we'll stick with the anger, anger management um, idea right now. If the person had a really bad day, they were running late because they forgot to pack their kids' lunch, and then they didn't have enough gas to get to work, so they had to stop and get gas, and they didn't sleep well the night before, so they were hurried, they were already stressed, and they didn't get a good night's sleep. Those are all vulnerabilities. So we understand that these are things that make it more likely for you to get angry. We understand these are things that you want to try to prevent but you also want to be aware of as making you more vulnerable. Just like during flu season, you know, when you go to Walmart, you know, or wherever, you know you're more vulnerable to getting sick because half the town's been there and pushed the same buggies. Um, so you get one of those little wipey things and you wipe down the cart. And I actually carry the wipey things and anytime I pick up merchandise, I do that. Um, because I know that I'm in a situation where I'm more vulnerable to getting sick, so I want to do whatever I can to protect myself in that situation. In what way did the situation trigger a sense or memory of a loss? So if the current situation triggered a sense, a feeling of loss of control, let's talk about how that happened. What about this situation made you feel uncomfortable? Or what about this situation reminded you of a time when you were when you had a loss of control or a loss of a best friend or something. How does the person's experience of the event alter his or her future? So this is another question. So you want to say, this event happened. We're talking about this one right in the present right now. And so Jim Bob came in and did something that made you upset. It made you feel rejected. So you lashed out, you screamed at him. How does this how does all of this filter in to altering your future and what can you do about it in order to keep your future on the right track or get it back on the right track maybe you need to um you want to apologize to jim bob or maybe you don't i don't know um but helping the person figure out all right here i am i thought i had the anger management under control or i was trying to do it and i didn't now, in order for me to get to this future where I've got it under control, what have I learned from this event that can help me improve my outcomes? So these questions um, take a while for people to really start wrapping their heads around, and, and that's okay. In this particular group, I usually just inter introduce this concept to really help people understand the, some of the nature of their protective reactions and i told you i do this twice the alphabet list twice we want to talk about interventions and a for the triggers does not have to equate to a for the interventions so attitude does not have to be met with acceptance necessarily so these are 
independent activities. Um, but acceptance is one of those things, that radical acceptance. Breathing, when people get stressed out, when that threat response system is set off, you know, heart rate goes up, respiration um, increases. If we can help them slow their breathing, it helps trigger the relaxation response. C can stand for comp uh, compassion with themselves and with other people. And C can also stand for challenge. Instead of viewing something as a loss or something you're powerless over, view it as a challenge. What can I do? You know, this, like when you're driving on the interstate and you want to get from point A to point B and you've got everything mapped out and all of a sudden there's a traffic crash. Well, you can get angry about it and irritable that you're stuck in traffic. Or you can view it as a challenge or an opportunity. It's like, well, never been through this city before, so next time I get to an exit, maybe I'll get off and take some back roads around. Thanks to um, GPSs, we can do that a lot easier than we used to be able to. So instead of viewing it as, a, um, as an obstacle, Viewing it as a growing opportunity or a learning opportunity or an opportunity for exploration. So maybe that could go down under O, too. Um, D can stand for dispute, distract, or distress tolerance. E for express myself. Um, F, friends support. G is for gratitude. H is for higher power or hope. You know, again, have clients and most of the time when I do this with groups, I will get some repeat answers that, you know, I've gotten in other groups before, but I don't think I've ever had a group that came up with all the same answers of a prior group. So it gives you more that you can add to the, um, to the repertoire. So identify, this is another activity that we do sometimes, um, identify two ways you could deal with the following symptoms, why they might occur, and why it's important to recovery. Now, since there are three parts to this question, I write this part on the whiteboard that way, or the blackboard, depending on where I'm at. That way, people can reflect on it when they get their turn. Now, there are two ways, well, three ways that you can do this. Well, there's probably a lot more. Three ways that I do it. The beach ball. I've got a lot of beach balls. Um, or you can do uh, Jenga or a hat draw. Either way, instead of writing on the Jenga blocks, which can get really expensive after a while, if you have a card and before the person can move a Jenga block, they have to draw a card. And on that card is a symptom. And then they have to answer the questions for that symptom before they can move a Jenga block. So that's another way of accomplishing the same goal. The other nice thing about cards is you can also use those same cards and put them in a hat or a box or something. And just have people draw out a card. And, you know, whatever they draw is what they've got to talk on. So if you don't like playing Jenga or whatever, that, that's cool too. Um, symptoms. So the things that they're going to identify. Always feeling worried or stressed out. So what are two ways you could deal with always feeling worried or stressed out? And I want them to look back to things that they've done in the past. Use a real strengths-based approach, solution-focused. You want to be happy. You want to be relaxed and calm. So how can you deal with, how can you get to that point in order to, you know, feel happier? Um, why might you always feel worried and stressed out? What's going on that's making you feel that way? 
and why is it important to recovery to feel happy and calm and content as opposed to worried or stressed out you know and obviously the resulting answers are we want to t turn down that HPA access so people can get better sleep when they have better sleep they'll think better they'll have better problem-solving skills a lot of times they have more patience yada yada so that's why addressing that symptom is important to recovery then we go to insomnia and we work our way down the symptoms and talk about um, again what might cause it because there's a lot of things that can cause insomnia you know caffeine stress noise hormone changes illness allergies you know we can go on for a while so you know you don't have to have the symptom in the box just once i usually have this um each symptom in there just once but then after somebody answers they put it back in and i mix up the cards um, another thing you can do is have them write an anger or an anxiety graphic novel or skit um, and obviously this is for the participants who are super creative i'm not um, there are places you can go online where they can help you they have programs now and they're free um, and relatively intuitive where you can create little graphic novels um, relatively easy i mean they don't look professional but it gets the point across um, but i usually have anxiety or anger as the villain and then i have the client as the superhero and i'm like okay do your novel or skit a lot of times this goes really well for teenagers because that's kind of where they're at they really like graphic novels and they can talk about a particular thing that is triggering their anger or anxiety and we can hear what anger and anxiety the villain is telling them and what it's trying to get them to do and then we can see them the the superhero combating the villainous anger and anxiety um, so like i said people have to be really creative uh, for that one but it can be a whole lot of fun um, and it's something that they could something that they could do on their own um, and i'm camille i'm really not sure i mean they could do this i mean cognitively they certainly could um, it's just a matter of whether they have the uh, technological skills to use the interface that helps them make the graphic novels most of them are what they call GUI interfaces so a lot of its drag-and-drop so they could um, just look online search the internet for um, graphic novel design programs or cartoon um, creators and you can find different free applications obviously those free applications are not HIPAA compliant so encourage them not to share any private information yada yada okay anxiety and anger says and this is just one of those that you can ask a client how are you feeling and if they say I'm feeling stressed out about encourage them to separate themselves from the feeling you know unhook from that feeling what is anger and anxiety telling you and a lot of times you're going to start hearing that critical inner voice or those schema with the cognitive distortions in them so I want to know what is your what is your anxiety telling you if your kid is you know an hour and a half late past curfew what is your anxiety telling you and I think most of us our first thought is he's dead in a ditch somewhere um, 
And, and so we need to be able to talk back to that anger and anxiety and go, that's unlikely, you know. And cognitive processing therapy has a set of challenging questions that work really well to talk back to anger and anxiety. Um, ask people to present evidence and for evidence for and against their thought. And you can do this with anger and anxiety says. If, if anxiety says your kid is not here because he got into a car crash and he's in the emergency room, you know, what is the evidence for and against this? How do we know that this person, that this has happened? Probably don't. Um, you know, what's the evidence that there's probably a catastrophe? You know, has the child ever missed curfew before? You know, a lot of us did. Um, so you can start looking at probabilities and that helps people get out of their emotional mind and into their more and into their wiser mind because you're forcing them to go from emotional over to their logical mind and then remember wise mind looks at the looks at the combination of what's going on vulnerability predictor and prevention um, helping people identify before they go into a situation what parts of this situation might trigger my anger what parts of this situation might trigger my, my anxiety? What things do I know? What vulnerabilities do I know that make me more likely to be irritable? So if you've got hypoglycemia and you're getting ready to go into a stressful meeting at work, you know, you probably don't want to go in there when your blood sugar is really low because it's likely you're going to respond with a um, less democratic response. Um, so encouraging people to plan. Anger and anxiety, again, are typically there to protect you. So how can you make yourself safe emotionally, mentally, physically, yada, yada. Handling criticism. Encourage people to role play. And this is one of those, um, I don't want to say fun ones, but it can be um, engaging. Have, a, have cards, you know, note cards with different situations where people often encounter criticism. You've got parents, you've got in-laws, you've got supervisors, you know, whatever. Start making a list of people who might criticize your clients or they can make lists and identify people who would criticize them. And then have them act that out with another person in the group. What does it look like when that person criticizes you? And figuring out how to how to deal with it, and what might be triggering their anger in that situation when they feel criticized. Um, worry stones or beads. And I don't know if you can see mine. I've got a little quartz worry stone. Um, and I just hold on to my worry stone sometimes. Um, I also have my rosary. When I'm really worried, then I break out the rosary. Um, because it gives me something to focus on, both tactily and, you know, cognitively. So... Those things can help. I mean, obviously, the worry stone, there's nothing cognitive here, but it gives me something to do with my hands instead of, you know, picking my nails or biting them or something, which is gross. You can create a worry box, and this isn't just for little kids. I mean, if it's, you do it with kids, you know, obviously, you can really decorate the worry box and whatever and, and make it all exciting. Um, but having a box where you write down on a sheet of paper or a slip of paper what you're worried about. Think about what you need to do to improve it, what parts you have control over, what parts you don't, 
you know, you don't want to just say, I'm worried about this and throw it in there. Well, that doesn't fix anything. Um, you know, if you're worried about how you're going to pay your bills next month, okay, that's a problem. So you write that down and then you figure out, all right, what parts do I have control over? And make a list of those. And then you put that worry, once you've figured out how to handle it, you take that worry slip and you put it in the worry box and let it be done. Um, and Carolyn has done the same thing with writing it on a balloon and letting kids release it. And she said a, a helium balloon. I can also see them see doing it with a regular balloon that you blow up. And I can see kids really enjoying this, blowing, writing on it when it's deflated, blowing it up and letting them let it go. And you know how it makes the, um, the fart noises, which kids just typically love. Um, so I could see that would be pretty fun. Um, the worry box is, uh, can also, in, in recovery, sometimes we call it a God box. So depending on the group that you're working with and their spiritual orientation, that might be something too. The anger onion. Um, I guess this is one we're going to talk about today. I crumple up a piece of paper, you know, construction paper, crumple it up, and that is at the core of whatever's going on. And then I put a piece of paper over it and I write guilt. And I put a piece of paper over it and I write resentment. And, you know, you see where this is going. So eventually I've got lots of pieces of paper over this core. And this is my onion. And anger is the outermost layer. So I say, okay, you know, let's peel off the onion. We're angry about this. So then, you know, guilt is the next next one maybe, whatever. It doesn't matter what the underlying ones are in or what order they're in. And I sit and I give it to somebody, you know, next person in the circle, and they've got to answer why might I feel guilty about whatever's going on. So it gives, helps people start looking and recognizing that there's more than just anger. The hidden heart, and I found this online, um, uh, creativecounseling101.com. Again, not affiliated with them in any way, but she had great ideas. Um, fill a Ziploc baggie with slips that tell about all of your hurts and anger. And this Ziploc bag becomes your heart. You know, you can have them color a little heart on it if you want to. Put the little Ziploc baggie, you know, the sandwich baggie, inside of a paper lunch bag. It doesn't have to be a big one. And right on the outside of that paper lunch bag, um, the way they present themselves to the world to hide what's hidden on the inside. So what do they present? How do they act to the world? What does the world see when they see them? This is obviously pretty abstract, so it's hard for younger children, but it's good for older adolescents, and I've had luck doing this even with adults, um, helping them understand what to put on the, the brown bag sometimes takes a minute, um, but if you do it as a, you know, do an example first, then they can usually do it on their own, and, you know, they can get some really powerful stuff. Um, for kids, you can do an anger tornado, and this was, oh, I haven't done this one, but it looks really awesome. You fill up a two-liter bottle with water. And you ask the child, what color is anger for you? If it's black, if it's red, whatever color it is. I mean, it's usually not pink or something. And you put that color food, food coloring in there. And you also put glitter in there because it makes it more obvious what's going on. You put the lid on and you shake it up so everything's all blended. And you 
spin it around until the water in the two liter bottle is swirling like a tornado and you talk about how this is your anger it's red and it's fiery and then you put the bottle down and you talk with the child for a little while longer and then in a couple minutes you go back and you look at the anger tornado and when you weren't messing with it when you weren't giving it energy what happened everything settled down so it can be very poignant for um, a lot of kids the relax jar and again this one is more for kids than for adults um, using beads with the letters relax or whatever their particular cue is if you want to use breathe or whatever um, and other small beads in sequence fill a small jar with rice because um, beads in sequence get expensive leave a little air at the top so as it's rotated the rice slides around um, revealing the letter beads and sequence inside so when the person gets upset they take the jar and they turn it around until they can find all the letters that they're looking for it usually takes a couple minutes which is plenty of time for that initial adrenaline to bleed off and if they're focused on finding a letter then they're not going to be feeding their cognitions um, Oops, I did Hidden Heart twice. Um, another thing that you can look at is what is going on with them. Uh, role play an incident that triggers anger um, with neck cards. So think about um, meeting with a, a customer service representative or something and that's not being helpful. The person who is encountering the customer service representative will have a card around their neck that's turned backwards so you can't read it that tells what feeling they are supposed to be experiencing and you and they put it on their chest um, and then they act out um, what's going on and we need to the group needs to try to identify what emotion are they experiencing or are they expressing and why you know obviously we've got anger or anxiety or maybe a little guilt or grief or something but why and that's the key so when the person starts to get upset um, we want the group to try to identify the reasons why that might might be happening and other ways to address it we do want to help clients in this group you know before they even, before they walk out at the end of the day we want them to realize that they can start using mindfulness to break the anger and anxiety habit to break the habit of feeding that and getting stuck in that feeling encourage them to acknowledge how they feel i'm angry i'm anxious it is what it is i know y'all get tired of me saying that um what am i angry or anxious about and that's you know trying to figure that out takes a minute is this actually a threat to me in the present moment and what is the best response in this situation to help me achieve my goals people can have this on a um, note card that they keep with them so when they start getting stressed out they can look at the, the card and remember the four questions and go through it so ways to prevent anger and anxiety uh, reduce stimulants you know I know I sound like a broken record but it's important and remember that caffeine is not the only stimulant caffeine is found in chocolate and chocolate has additional stimulants in it not saying you can't ever have chocolate but um i love the stuff uh, but being aware that chocolate does have stimulatory properties um, being aware that you know caffeine does there's a lot of caffeine in soda 
Um, even your clear sodas, like some of your Mountain Dews and stuff, have really high levels of caffeine. So encouraging people to start reading labels. Nicotine is a stimulant. Decongestants are stimulants. Certain medications for heart problems can be stimulants. So encourage, not that I want them to cut back on those medications by any means, but I do want them to be aware of stimulants that they're on and cut out any unnecessary stimulants. Get enough rest. When you're sleep deprived, your HPA axis is activated, your threat response system is activated, so you're not going to be as relaxed and calm and patient as you would be otherwise. That's just the way our body works. When that HPA axis is activated, there's less energy devoted to impulse control and problem solving and more energy just devoted to self-protection. Strive for work-life balance. Add fun. And this is where people miss the boat so much. And, you know, I admit I've done it, missed the boat before too. Work is great. You may love your job, but you've got to have work-life balance. And that doesn't mean loving your job and then going home and doing honeydews and mowing the yard the other, you know, 12 hours of the day or whatever. That's not work-life balance. What we mean by life is meaning all other aspects of your life, including recreation and socialization and fun things. Try to keep your blood sugar stable. Be aware of your triggers. Whatever triggers anger and anxiety in your environment, be aware of those and start dealing with them. Have a plan for what to do. Think ahead. You know, if you know you're getting ready to go to your in-laws for Thanksgiving and that's almost always a catastrophe, Think ahead about what can you do to make the best of this situation to make it a better outcome this time. And get support. Uh, even if you're at your in-laws, you know, if you've got somebody you can call, you can go into the bathroom and, you know, call your mom or your best friend and go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. That's okay. Then you have somebody that can validate you and go, I hear you're overwhelmed right now, but you got this. So all of these things can help people prevent unnecessary excitation. Remember, feeling angry or anxious, that initial feeling, that's natural. That's your body's protective response. We can prevent taking that and blowing it into a forest fire by taking some pretty practical steps. Emergency planning. Again, another card. And not everybody wants cards. I keep everything on notepads on, on my mobile device. How can you get safe? Who can you call or text? What strategies, and I usually say two, what two strategies can you use to help you get into your wise mind out of that adrenaline haze? And why is it important for you to manage these feelings right now? Yeah, we're, give, we're helping them remember what to do, but then they have to be motivated to do it. I can know what to do all day long, but if I don't remember why it's really important because sometimes I'm not thinking about that when I'm angry. I don't remember why it's really important. I may not do it. So anger and anxiety are normal emotions that help people survive. Answers can often be found by asking, what happened to this person in the past that would trigger this reaction now? Situations that trigger anger and anxiety often involve a sense of being unsafe, a loss of something, emotions that are unable to be handled effectively, 
or an alteration of how that person envisions the future. They, they envision, you know, their dreams being lost or that themselves being blocked or thwarted in some way. Problems arise when anger and anxiety are misinterpreted or the person doesn't have the skills to deal with the problem. Good thing is they can learn to check their interpretations and develop new skills. Anger is not a simple emotion. It often covers up shame, embarrassment, guilt, and or anxiety. By helping people identify the roots of their anger and more effective strategies to deal with it, they can be empowered to reduce the frequency and intensity of these emotions and more effectively cope when they do arise. Alrighty, are there any questions? Thank you guys for sharing some of the things that you do in your practice. Um, I, I really liked learning about some of those things. Have an amazing weekend, and I'll see you on Tuesday. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.